Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're so glad that you're here. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash, and as always, I am joined by my co-host S with the most S, Christy Oxborough. How you feeling? Uh, I'll say it. Uh, slightly unwell. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, it's fine. It's fine. This is the beginning of the end. Uh, I will get worse as it goes. But um, the the biggest issue, sorry, is uh. It's an emotional unwell. Oh, like it's no. physically unwell, but it's an emotional unwell because just prior to this record, I finished the Dairy Girls. <laughs> oh shoot! Now I'm gonna say it. Whoever decided uh, to cancel that show, how dare you? Yeah. Uh, three seasons. I had a big cry. One per season. The big one was in season three. I was a mess. My, I was watching it uh, alone in the office while I was doing some birthday party prep uh, for one of my kids. And my husband went looking for me. He opened the door and I turned and just tears streaming down my face. And I went, I can't right now. And didn't even know what he wanted. I was like, I just don't have the mental bandwidth for you. In this room. And he just went, okay. <laughs> just off he went. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah. <laughs> if you heard me clapping uh. and making wild noises just then, it's because Sharky took this opportunity to jump on the table eating something. I don't know what he's of into. Course. It doesn't sound like it's food. I don't know. Anyway, we're hoping for the best over here. Well, he was like, I know what's going to break up the 
emotional levity. A clown. A clown. A little jester. Little court, yeah. little fool. The fool. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what it is, is yeah. I've been away. I'm back in Los Angeles, California, right. United States of America. Thank you very much. Uh, but I was in uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada for, I've been, I mean, as, as you all know, for some time on and off. But today is my first full day home. Mm-hmm. And I had a bunch of stuff I was doing today in the day. And then he, he is, is, he's acting out. Oh, classic teen. Classic teen. So like I'm trying yeah. to set up for this and he's just up in my grill chewing everything, <laughs> chewing my cell phone, like chewing my a pen, chewing a a, ba- a bag, starts like getting into the paper. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I get it. You need attention. And so I take some time and I give him some attention. And now he's just gone to the other end of the table and is chewing something. So again, it's you know, we're doing our best over here. She's a single mom who works too hard and loves a kid and never stops. I just want you to know, you could talk for another 20 minutes and I'm still going to respond with, up in your grill, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it should not let that one slide. It shouldn't float so trippingly off my tongue. And I, and I, I acknowledge yeah. that. I acknowledge yeah. that. Uh, I just want you to know, I, I only pointing it out because I loved it. It came out, what a surprise. Yeah. Um, there's something in the air for cats. Is there? I think I think there's something going on because Cheddar, bless her heart, um, she she's very very affectionate. Yeah, she wants to love people. She wants people to love her, and it's just she's a toddler and she's in everything, mm. and she won't stop. Mm. And then every time, it's just the second I sit down. And start working. There's just like a chewing or a scratching or something going on, and it's never anything good. Can't be. And then, and then you got the other asshole that I want to love me more than anything, mm-hmm. but she doesn't. Um, the other one, uh, the other day, was sitting in her. We have a cat tree mm-hmm. for them uh, in front of our main window, and she was sitting in the cat tree and making motions, and I was like, oh. She's going to be sick. She's got a hairball. I know it. Yep. And so I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. And I was like, if we could get you off of the carpeted cat tree onto the floor, that's just like a a vinyl. I could just wipe that up. That'd be great. And she looked me. She stopped the motion. She looked me dead in my eye, turned around and went blah on the window. She projectile Oh my god! On the window, I couldn't believe it, and I just, I, I, I just did like a mama. Like, what do you even do? So I go, I run, I get the paper towel, I'm starting to clean it up. She takes two steps on the couch again. No, looks me in my eye and just goes blah on our couch. I was like, I can't with you. She's perfectly healthy. She's perfectly fine, but it was just, it's the fact that she'll wait. Until her and I are making eye contact and she does it while we're making eye contact. It's a power move. And I get that. It's a power move or she really trusts you. Interesting. She's okay if I watch. She's like, mama, mama, (laughs) something's happening. The joke is, I mean, between me and my husband, she loves him. Mm. She will get up on the couch, sit with him, cuddle with him, and then run over me to get 
over to the bed to sleep on her own. See, this is like Fox, but the but the thing with Fox is, and I have a feeling it could be the same in this scenario, is that when the shit hits the fan, when we're at the vet, when there's thunder, oh, then he's like, thunder oh, buddies. mommy. Then he wants yeah. everything to do with me. I feel oh, like that might sure. be the same for you. Maybe again, um, when, when she feels she, a puke coming on, she's like, I oh, want, I, I need mother. That is more than possible. The downside is I'm the one that takes them to the vet, so I'm the evil one to her. That's like, I can't believe you've brought me here oh, again. Dear. I know. Because um, she hates the car. But then again, so does Cheddar, but Cheddar's a whole other uh, nightmare. But uh, Cheddar... <laughs> she's so used to getting so much attention from my oldest, mm -hmm. but since he's moved out, she doesn't get that every day. So now she's upped how much she wants attention, and oh. it just there's just never enough. We tell her we we treat her the same way he does. We will pick her up, we'll pet her, we tell her she's pretty, <laughs> and then we put her back down, and we're like, "There, we got to tell her this every day." She's got to go through her mantra every day or heaven forbid. Oh, God. She's just, she's a lot. She's yeah. really ramped up. Really? Both, both of them have. So I feel like there's something in the air for cats. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't know. It's either. like when the world ends and the forest animals all start coming out and you're like, something's going on there because the animals are scurrying. There's something that cats are in tune to that they're like, something's going down. So it's, it's going down for real. Maybe they play that. They're all texting that song to each other. <laughs> I hope so. Come on. I hope so. Think about how oh, cute their little tiny phones cat would be. cell phones. Oh, come on. Where they have to, to, to open it, they have to put on a bean. Yep. Just, just one. a single little bean. Yep. Oh, get out. Get out of town. That's adorable. It is. She, I mean, I can tell you, one of mine would never text me. She would, she would leave me on red. And I know it. Yeah. But. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think. Sharky would text me. Oh, of course. For sure. I think a, a reasonable amount. Sure. Fox, never. Never. Maybe once a week. Um, Bean, it would be every minute. Every minute of the day. What are you doing oh, now? Oh, 100%. What are you doing now? Oh, well, how about now? What are you doing now? That kind of. It would probably be um, very similar to um, Buddy the Elf. A Christmas gram? I want one. Like it would be, yeah. She's she's got Buddy the Elf energy. That's kind oh, of her she vibe. Does. Yeah, she does. It would absolutely be like, okay, I'll call you back in. I'll call you back in ten minutes. Yeah. Okay, love you. Bye. Yeah. That's like, wait, no, no, you don't have to call me. But okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! If we could get her a little elf costume. Shut your lips. It would be so perfect. Did you see the picture I posted of her in her new little scarf? Oh, there's a scarf? Let me pull it up real quick. Of course. Look at this. Look at this ding dong. Oh, 
come on. It's her après ski look. I couldn't be happy. We'll post that picture on our socials, folks. Um, Because, frankly, the world needs it. Of course. The world needs it. Of course. Yeah, she's, uh, I'm very, this is our first Christmas together. I've gone all out. I mean, I've, (laughs) I've met you. (laughs) (laughs) Me? Uh, Go all out at Christmas? Um, Yeah. It's your middle name. It is. Long name. Yeah. Really long. Yeah. Lauren Elizabeth goes all out at Christmas, (laughs) Ash. Yeah. I got her. Well, I have stockings for all the animals. So hers just arrived. I'm very excited. It's in the shape of a bone. It's cute. Of course. They all match. Uh, And then I did find a, like a a puppy's first Christmas. Now, granted, I understand that this isn't technically her first Christmas on the earth. But this is her first Christmas with me. So I did Great get point. a Bean's first Christmas ornament. It's adorable. Of course. Yeah. Nothing will stop me in my tracks at a store mm. faster than Christmas ornaments. Yeah. I I could shop for Christmas ornaments forever. Well, listen. For no reason. I love them. Then I should probably mention that there's a new one on TrueCrewMerch.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a beautiful segue. Yeah. Listen, they're yeah. wooden. They're good quality. They can be hung on the tree or put on the fridge like a magnet. And I've decided okay. to do one each year now. So there was a 2022 one. Of course. There's a 2023 one now. Um, also new to the store. Unfortunately, these two items are only available to ship to the United States. A True Crime and Cocktail stocking. Get out of here. Oh. And True Crime and Cocktails wrapping paper. Christmas need- wrap. That's insanity. I know. And I was- I mean, you know you've made it. And I, well, thank you very much. I wasn't going to put them on the store because I don't like that it discludes other places. That doesn't feel right sure. to me. But my hope is that they sell well enough that then next year they will open them up to the other locations. Of course. So I was like, yeah. I- they're so cute. I'm going to put them on there, and we're just going to fingers cross that next year they'll be available for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, since we're already deep in this already. Yeah. When uh, when you putting that tree up? Like the one that's not already up. I'm ashamed that it isn't up already. I have been oh, home. I have, sure. been, I have been in Toronto, so that's – to be sure. honest with you, I think the first day I'm going to have an opportunity is this Friday or Saturday after American Thanksgiving. Ooh. Sure. But I'd like to have it done. I'd like to have the house done by next week. I'd like it done by November 29th, November 28th, oh, in that range. I get that. I get that. I've considered getting a – you had once suggested I put a smaller tree back here. Yeah. And I've considered, because I'm a crazy person, Making it a full Philadelphia Flyers-themed tree as a way to manifest a Stanley Cup win. You say lifetime. You say full maniac. Was that your word? Uh, I think I should. I went with crazy person. Crazy person. Wow, I really upped it a notch. Here's what I'm going to say. (laughs) Nope, but that's where I'm at. What I'm going to say is, yeah, uh, energy. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, hmm, What is the word I'm thinking of? Lassoing? No. Harness? That's it. Okay. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> we really need to up. We need to be playing some some sort of Pictionary or something. That was impressive. Yeah, that was uh, great. You say crazy person. I say energy harnesser. That was yeah. what I was trying to say. Um, I yeah. love this. I think you should do it. Oh, I I definitely think I'm going to. I've already uh, picked out a tree that I think I'm going to get because it's. I think it's like a four footer. Beauty. That feels reasonable back there. Yes. I may already have a flyers tree topper in the mail. So we'll see. Sounds to me like you're not just thinking about mm. it anymore. Oh, I know. I My thing is, I'm like, oh, I was going to do like orange and black balls. And then, of course, I have a few random specifically flyers ornaments that I was going to do, but I thought mostly orange and black balls, maybe a white garland to get all three main colors in there. We'll see. I don't know. Sky's the limit. Yeah. The idea of a themed tree gets me hot in a way that I can't fully describe. Listen, I have so many ornaments that sure. I started the third tree. Now, granted, I've always had... <laughs> I've always had three, but I've started a, the redesigned third tree, which is the Canadian-centric ornaments. Um, of course. Anything Canadian-centric goes on that tree, my Canada tree. Then it also has red balls and, of course, my tree topper I made, which is a Canadian flag with Ryan Reynolds wearing a CBC shirt in front of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can't course. think of anything more Canadian, to be honest. Of um, course. So I got to tell you, it's freeing. It's freeing. It's And it's nice. It feels yeah. like... I feel like your love of lists, et cetera, of order, yeah. this is the one thing where I feel the same, I really feel the same way. I like a tree that has a theme. I like that there's like yeah. my done, like fancy tree. I like that there's oh, the fun tree. Sure. I like that there's the Canadian tree. I should also note I have the little tree with um, just Star Wars ornaments. Then I have another little tree that you got me with Disney princesses and Star Wars and all things Disney, et cetera, right. uh, in that world on that tree. It feels right. nice that they each serve its own purpose. Oh, yeah. I used to have a small tree, I think, similar to the one I sent you. Um, that I think I just did. I think I did Harry Potter ornaments on it. But then but then my kids kind of took it over. And now that lives in their room. And they get their own ornaments on that, which is fine. Uh, it just means I have to get my own. Yeah. I also do have a just a a wooden shape of a tree that just has little ha like little hangers for the little teeny teeny tiny little mm. uh, ornaments that Hallmark brings out that I am obsessed with. They're so cute, those little ones. They are. It's the Fisher Price ones for yeah. me. I I can't. Every year I'm like, doesn't matter what the next one is, I'm gonna get it. And then I think last year they didn't bring one out, or maybe it was year before. But I was devastated. I get that. Yeah. Hallmark has a way to say we care. <laughs> is is that their slogan? Hallmark has a way to say we care. I should never have <laughs> second guessed it. <laughs> I couldn't have told you there was ever a jingle. I don't know if they still use the jingle, but in our youth, they sure did. Oh, I'm sure they did. Yeah. Huh. I mean, don't get me wrong. That dream book every year. Wish book? Uh, well, it's the dream book for Hallmark for their Oh, ornaments. it's the wish book for I thought you were, uh, thought you were transitioning into. 
I I was not, but look, I'll I'll really any Christmas book, <laughs> any catalog, I'll, I'll take. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I miss. I mean, Amazon tries. They put out one, but it's just like, uh huh. Um, I think Toys R Us has tried doing one, but it's like no, but it doesn't compare to what the Wish Book used to be. No. But yeah, that the Hallmark one where I can just look at all the new ornaments that year because again, I can't stop. Yeah. With the ornaments, and I don't think you should. Oh yeah, I don't think I should stop myself at this point. No. Because all I say is, once you fill that tree, new tree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I love is the idea of, of a of a four-foot tree of, of my preferred hockey team back there in this office that I share with my husband. Um, I get it on the evenings when I record. He gets it, you know, 40 hours a week otherwise. So I love around the time of year that we're going to take like a break and not record for a bit. He's going to be in this office with that tree. <laughs> well, you know, while I say this with nothing but love, but I mean, he's in this office with all of your gack all the time. Oh, uh, <laughs> my favorite thing in the world was they did a meeting. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, it was the first meeting where they everybody had to turn on their cameras. And I was like, did you make sure Dave Grohl was in the back? <laughs> Did you blur your background, bud? Well, yeah, I was like, oof, that can't, uh, do you want the Robert Pattinson one just to hang in the back for you? But yeah, he definitely, like, the stuff behind me, it's like, okay, yeah, that's reasonable. But the more stuff behind him, yeah, that's a lot of toys and Dave Grohl. So I I just have to, again, with love, is, are you calling that reasonable? (laughs) I am. Listen, yeah. you know I respect it. My home is the exact same way. Um, oh, I'm, I've already described myself as a crazy person. <laughs> well, listen, on that note, what you drinking yeah. over there? Oh, I'm uh, doing a Slurpee for the sake of my throat. Of and course. The sake of my heart. I love that for you. I'm on my yeah. second high noon. Oh, good for you. And you know what? By the end of this, could be loose and buzzy. Oh, I'm already excited about your notes. I know. I've got a bit of an energy to me today. I get it. I get it. I can't wait. I've had a couple of days where I've just, I've, I've scheduled in too much. It's all, it mm-hmm. is doable, mm-hmm. but I'm now at the mm-hmm. point where I'm like, okay, in about an hour, I'm going to start to be like, woo-woo, like <laughs> a little bit cuckoo bananas, yeah. you know? Yeah. See, the problem is, um, I believe uh, women just naturally do it. We look at a set time. Yep. And we're like, I could do this till this point, And then this for the rest of it. And then when you're in the thick of it, you're like, oh, dear God, what have I done? Yep. Because you forget to factor in the energy that each of those things takes. But you're like, I could pull it off. I could absolutely do it. Yeah. And then it's just like, what have I done? Yeah. What have I done? It's the same concept that allows us to birth children. Yeah. That it's like, yeah, I could do that. And then it's like, that's really hard, actually. It's really a lot and it's really hard. And you do it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think that's a part of the female I, wiring where it's like, oh, yeah, I can pull that off because you can pull it off. But the point oh, yeah, is, is at sure. what cost to yourself? Oh, once you're in that moment where you realize that's happening, then all of a sudden you're like, what have I done? Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Um, where you just realize that a, like a, a full human yeah. is is coming out. Clawing its way out. <laughs> Thank you for that imagery. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, a beautiful thing, but wowzer. Yeah, that's, I mean, one may say taxing on the body. I will probably never know it, and I still salute all of you. Oh, it's... All of you have done it. I mean, the thing that that always killed me um, is when you're sitting there. Yeah. You've just really gone through it. And things aren't aren't great for you downstairs. And you're just like thinking, what have I done? It's never going to be the same. Oh, dear God. And you're in pain. Everything leaks. It's just the worst. And then a, a, a lovely nurse will come in and see your husband sleeping. Because uh, they spent the night. And the nurse just goes, oh, I'll come back. I don't want to disturb him. <laughs> we'll let him get his sleep. That really, you know. Uh, why are we so worried about him, Lady Jane? Why are we so worried about him? Yeah. I mean, there was the one where I was in the hospital and he was at home. Um, and I went into labor early. And they were like, we should call him. And then they went, you know what? No, let's let him get some sleep. We'll call him when it gets closer. I had no access to a phone. I was also in labor. And hours later, they're like, has anybody called him? And I went, no. And she's like, oh, we should call him. And I'm like, Great. If you could handle that, then I've got this. If you could do that, that'd be that'd be so great. But again, just want to make sure he's rested. I'm going to be honest with you. If I've got like something weird going on, like not so like, let's say I turned an ankle and it's really not healing and I like need to go to a walk-in clinic. If yep. I was married, I would be like, I need you present from the second I get off the couch to the second I get back on the couch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not even birthing a baby. Yeah. What look. I'm saying is, is that it's, you know, <laughs> no harm, no foul, but God bless you. Sure. God bless you. Oh, it's, there's, there's a turning point in your relationship when you <laughs> Look your husband in the eye while uh, another man is elbow deep inside <laughs> you. It's, it's a lot. Things change, but, you know, it's a lot. Yeah. It gets to the point where I did say to somebody, because <laughs> they, they're, you know, while you're going through labor, they're like constantly checking, want to see uh, how far along, all those sorts of things. And at one point I was like, is there a janitor that would like <laughs> to come and check? Because everybody in this place has looked. And then they were, it was like, it happened to be one of the, I was, uh, I can't remember which kid it was with, but it just happened to be that they had a bunch of like trainee, like medical resident sort of, uh, 
uh, students coming in and they were like, do you mind if I, I went, nope, everybody's seen it now. <laughs> Just go for it. Like, and then they talk about you like you're not there and like you're not a person. Like you're just, we're just going to talk about things. And I'm just like, yeah. Can I ask one clarifying question? And we don't have to delve into it any further. Of course. When there, and this is from someone who's never had a baby. So just remember that I'm sure this question for all the mothers out there is going to make y'all laugh. But this is a genuine, genuine question. Oh, I can't wait. You're laying. You're prone. You're on the stretcher or whatever, birthing bed. I don't know if they have those. I don't know. And you're saying people are coming to check you. Yeah. What are, what are they, what are they seeing? <laughs> like, are they checking to see what it looks like for the cervix to be dilated? Um, usually yes, but they also have to like really get in there cause that's how they can tell how many centimeters you are. With a hand? Oh God, yeah. <sighs> Cause then sometimes they'll have to get in there to feel the baby's positioning. Mm. So then they have to like, like a Christmas goose, you got to <laughs> have one hand on top to hold it down and then one hand in there to like check things out. It's so yeah. when they, when they're Human parading is our miracle. They are. <laughs> it's people. beautiful. <laughs> Last clarifying. This is very genuine. So when they're bringing yeah. in the team of medical students and they're like, do you yeah. mind? Are they, yeah. are they doing the Christmas goose? Are you getting some of them are? Yes. Oh my god! And they take or, turns, or it's worse. I think I would almost prefer that to the the main doctor there and the rest of them with their heads. Oh god! Like leaned over, and I'm like, "Yep." What can they take possibly? What can they be learning from that? If the doctor's got his 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 whole arm up there, I think they're just supposed to learn like. Like they're supposed to see it in action. I don't know. The point is you, you go in there with like a first child and you're shy and you're like, I don't really like, yeah, like nobody, no thank you. And you go in there with the second one and you're like, yep, half your team's seen it already. So go ahead. Look, yeah, I, if I may, do, 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 uh, this is a, <laughs> the more, you know, moment, yeah. uh, I'm sorry that all of you have had to go through that. Um, anyone who has uh, birthed, that's um, that's a lot. Oh, that's not even the worst part. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We won't get into the worst yeah, part. Yeah. No, no. We're not going to get into it. Ev but and that's the thing. Everybody has a different worst part, I think. Yeah. Everybody's got their own rock bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which then yeah. ends in a beautiful thing, obviously. But I'm saying the process, sure. the process. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, when people say to you, "Oh, you're not gonna have children. Oh, you're missing out on the miracle of birth." I think honestly, I'm good. Like I think I am good, and that's no disrespect. Quite on the contrary, it's the most respect. Of course, you know what I'm saying. I I yeah. see it. I see you. I see all of you. And I'm, I tip my hat and I yeah. say, I'm going to sneak <laughs> out the door. 
without having done that. Like, I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. I I, I feel like I'm empathetic enough that like I've, I think I felt it, you know, on a low level. I think I've gotten a vibe and I'm going to just peace out, you know? Oh yeah. It's, uh, it's a real experience. Yeah. Are there some lovely things to it? Of course. Are there also some things that you're a little bit PTSD and you still think about approximately 19 years later? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Yeah, there are things that stay with you. Mm. I will never forget a couple that I met once. Um, oh, God, I don't even know if I had kids yet or not. But <laughs> I it was the first time I'd ever met them. And they had had a baby a few months prior. This was their first time kind of back out in the world together. Uh, and the guy just like looked me dead in the eye and just said, whatever, like, whenever you have kids, don't let him watch. And I went, pardon? And he's like, when, you, if, when your man's in there, don't let him watch. It won't be the same for him ever again. Wow. Yeah. There was something about watching a child come out of the the cock garage, if I weigh. <laughs> the cock garage. Oh, what a gift. What <laughs> a gift in my damn life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure. You know what I, I was trying to think of this vibe. <laughs> I, I just feel like it got so extreme. We're in the first part of the show. Oh, yeah. listen, if they're not used to this by now, who knows? Um, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. for some men, I guess, seeing a baby um, claw yeah. its way out of the cock garage can be a, a bit of a... A turn off. bit of a turn off. Yeah. Well, you know what I say to them? Yeah. Grow up. Yeah. Grow the hell oh, up. I mean, I, I did make tell my husband explicitly do not look past the sheet they give you the option see i'm the if worst if you'd like though. to see and i do not want to see oh yeah i wouldn't want to see either but for me i think again yeah. i'm the one who'd be like i want you to see what you're doing to me <laughs> like i feel like i would force it <laughs> and i would also yeah you know i just don't know that yeah. i have i have i have room for any feelings that people have i have room i of have space course. i am happy to to get through all of it, to talk, to be rational. I think in that case, I'm yeah. like, you watch it and you respect it. That's how I would feel. Oh, there is absolutely nothing rational about the whatever's happening to that woman and how she may react fair. in that moment. Fair, so, yeah. more than fair. Yeah, I get that. Wowzer. Well, yeah. on that note, this took a real turn. <laughs> you never know when we're going to get back into birth stories or, you know. Yeah. From from Christmas ornaments <laughs> to this, to cock garage. <laughs> I don't even know. Where, I don't even know where that came from. I mean, there's. You know what's amazing is you typically oh, say garage. God. Yeah. But for some reason, <laughs> in this context, you said cock garage. Like it, it was a different thing for you. <laughs> like it, like somehow it made it fancy. I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know where that came from. Uh, Look, don't I mean, request oh the merch, God. folks, because I don't think it's going to get past the supplier. They have very stringent <laughs> rules. It cannot be rude. It cannot be. Sure. I cannot. Sure. I don't think I can print anything that says cock garage. And for that, I'm deeply sorry. 
on that note. Yeah, we're talking about Murder Mountain, Netflix documentary on this episode of the show. I'm yeah. jazzed. I'm jazzed. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, I'll give you a brief little rundown synopsis right now. Murder Mountain is a 2018 Netflix documentary that is set in Humboldt County, California. The area, which is known for cannabis farming, is also known for an unusually high number of missing persons cases. The documentary focuses on the case of Garrett Rodriguez, a young man whose disappearance sets off a domino effect of violence throughout the county. While Christy gives us the lowdown on Garrett's case, she'll also mention some of the other missing cases in the area and delve into the history of Murder Mountain, including where it got its morbid nickname. So what happened to Garrett Rodriguez and what consequences did his death have on the area? Christy Oxborough investigates. And I want to just say, I see my up in my grill and raise you your the down low. <laughs> well played. Thank you. Yeah, yeah look, uh, I, I think it just goes to show we are both just naturally ourselves. Cockroach. <laughs> no matter baby. what. Cockroach. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, cockroach just doesn't sound right. No, then it would have to be cockgarvage. Oh, thank you. Garvage. Thank you so much for that. Oh, cock garage. I'm never going to live. I'm, ne- I'm never going to let down cock garage. Well, Anyhow. until the next one. <laughs> Can't. Can't wait. Oh, boy. Uh, disclaimer. Because we're trying to go from that into this. Oh, boy. I mean, if we tried to give disclaimers off the top of the show, there's no way to do it. Oh, no. disclaimer. These openings might contain absolute insane ramblings. Oh, we should give that anyway. Wow, that's true. Because they will. Always. Always. I think they've just come to expect Mm -hmm. that. But Uh, So, disclaimer for the episode, it will contain mentions of suicide and substance abuse. So trigger warning for those who need it. Humboldt County is situated on the northern coast of California. The main towns in the county include Fortuna, Arcata? Is that right? Arcata? Arca- I think it's Arcata. Arcata? Uh, McKinleyville, Myrtletown, which I love, uh, and Eureka. There is approximately 110 miles of coastline and more than 80% of the total area is forest, which includes 1.9 million acres. Humboldt County is known for its densely forested areas, which are full of redwoods, the tallest trees in the world. Humboldt County is also known for its heavy involvement in the marijuana industry. Humboldt County combines with Trinity County to the east and Mendocino County to the south to become what is known as the Emerald Triangle. That particular area farms 60% of the marijuana that isn't produced in the entire United States. Wow! During the Vietnam War, a lot of people, especially veterans, became disillusioned with the government and modern society as a whole. So around 1968, some of these people, who were kind of your classic hippie types, moved to the area and bought land because it was so ridiculously cheap at the time. Their goal was to get away from civilization, go completely off the grid, so they built their own commune, where they would grow their own essentials, which to them included pot. 
They started with a few seeds from Mex- from some Mexican bud that they had on hand, and then they decided to branch out. One of the members from the commune traveled to Pakistan to an area that was about the same elevation as where their commune was uh, to get seeds that could stand up to different conditions. Seeds were then sown into the seams of clothing, hats, and handbags so it could be shipped secretly, obviously, uh, to California. Using this method, they managed to bring about a kilo of Asian seeds into the country to start growing, uh, one may say, a hardier product. Uh, Things seemed to go relatively smoothly until 1971, when uh, then-President Reagan uh, did a press conference uh, announcing the beginning of his war on drugs. And I could get into a long, detailed history about what happened next, but honestly, we don't have time. And I'll say it. Ah, it's boring. (sighs) Anyhow, basically, the growers had to become more secretive to ensure their crops wouldn't be found by cops. Because if they were found, they'd get arrested, and then the cops would rip out the plant and burn any plants that they found. And not in the way that was intended. Uh, Things changed in 1996 when Prop 215 passed, which legalized cannabis for medical purposes. This caused the industry to explode, which led to the Green Rush, which was an influx of people moving to Northern California in the hopes of getting rich through a grow-up. Things only grew more in 2016 when Prop 64 passed, which made the general sale and distribution of cannabis legal in the state of California. And while it may seem like a fully positive move for marijuana growers if their product is now legal, if growers were to become legit, they suddenly had to deal with environmental regulations, labor laws, taxes, numerous fees, which is likely why so many people continue to run their grow-ups illegally. According to Humboldt County Sheriff's Office, their jurisdiction, which consists of about 4,000 square miles, they estimate there's approximately 15,000 illegal grow-ups within that area. But thanks to the dense redwoods filling the area, it is easy for growers to hide their crops from prying eyes. However, if police did find an illegal crop, the farmer would have a set amount of time to make themselves legit. If they didn't, police would come back, rip out the crops, and then put them through a wood chipper, which is probably a a better option than burning them. Well, in that moment, I guess they learned uh, something, but still horrific. Uh, Someone's livelihood. Anyhow. But the black market was so incredibly lucrative for the growers. Um, But since it was illegal, this means it also brought with it gangs, crime families, and essentially a lot of violence. In the documentary, there was a farmer um, who he owned an illegal grow-up in the area. He said he had been shot, chased at, beaten, tied to a chair, had a gun shoved in his mouth, and kidnapped about three times. He was once involved in politics, but quickly grew to dislike the lifestyle, so he went out seeking a better life, and when his car broke down in Humboldt County, he just never left. The 
epicenter of the Emerald Triangle is a small town in southern Humboldt County called Alder Point, which as of the 2020 census has a population of about 137. It is said that Alder Point makes its own rules, including having their own security, which is basically a bunch of vigilantes wearing masks over their faces with guns strapped to their back while they ride ATVs around. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's to the point where the sheriff's office, if they're going to go in to Alder Point to investigate a crime, they get an escort from those vigilantes to show people in town that the police have the permission to be there. People tend to make their way to Alder Point to get off the grid and be self-sufficient, like the hippies who came before them decades ago. ago. Uh, Unfortunately, due to the grow-ups, both legal and otherwise, the area has become known for a high number of missing persons. In fact, there are so many missing persons cases in the area that law enforcement cannot keep up with it. The police have limited resources and are spread so thin that when it comes to searching for missing persons, the police rely heavily on a group of volunteers who are known as the Humboldt County Sheriff's Posse. The posse is crucial since the search area is vast and remote, and not only is it physically difficult to search, it's also hard to get leads because no one wants to talk to the police because the majority of them are involved in the cannabis industry. When it comes to a potential grow-op-related case, it's hard for police to find anyone willing to cooperate. A representative for the sheriff's department said, quote, no one wants to cooperate with a missing persons investigation. Many people from throughout the state, nation, and world come to Humboldt County specifically to work in the cannabis industry. Uh, They oftentimes will not communicate with family and friends regarding their location. They go off the grid for extended periods of time. Many of those individuals return home and no one notifies law enforcement that they are no longer missing. Consequently, they will remain in the database. Some of the missing persons are victims of homicide with no apparent leads and a lack of witness cooperation. But of the three counties in the Emerald Triangle, the rate of missing adults in Humboldt County is nearly double that of the other two counties. Humboldt County as a whole has more missing persons than any other county in all of California. According to an article on the North Coast Journal, between 2000 and 2015, Humboldt County averaged 717 missing persons per capita or per 100,000 residents. The statewide average for California during that same time frame was 384. So, bit of a difference there. Uh, in 2016, 313 reports were filed for missing adults in Humboldt County, 230 of which were found unharmed within a matter of days. So many people flock to the area believing that the cannabis industry is a really great way to make a lot of money in a small time frame. However, when they arrive, they discover there's no cell service. So once they stop responding to their family's calls and texts, people panic and missing persons reports get filed. And to be clear, I am not suggesting it was wrong to file a report. If you're concerned, 
file a police report. I'm just saying these situations definitely add to the high number of people who are missing in the area. As of this record, there are hundreds of active missing person cases in Humboldt County, including some that date back to 1950. Uh, the following are just a few examples of people who have not been heard from for years, some even decades. Uh, on June 18, 1950, the body of 28-year-old Henry Baird was discovered on a beach at Table Bluff. His cause of death was determined to be a gunshot wound. Next to the body, police found items belonging to Henry's girlfriend, 17-year-old Barbara Kelly. Barbara has not been seen or heard from since. 22-year-old Andrea White was last seen July 31, 1991, hitchhiking along Highway 299 east of Blue Lake. 44-year-old Lori Walters Pope was last seen on State Route 36 by California Highway Patrol uh, in November 1996. And 25-year-old Eric Day was last seen near Rio Dell in February 1997. Neither Andrea, Lori, or Eric have been seen or heard from since. Uh, 16-year-old Karen Mitchell was last seen walking from her job at the Bayshore Mall on November 25, 1997. A witness claims to have seen a girl fitting Karen's description getting into a light blue sedan driven by an older man with light gray hair. Investigators believe the man in question may have been serial killer Robert Durst, who not only looked like the sketch of Karen's potential abductor, uh, but was also known to visit the store where Karen worked. I briefly mentioned Karen's case, including Robert's potential involvement, in episode 82, Kristen Modafferi, um, which involved yet another disappearance that Robert may have been responsible for. Uh, 36-year-old Chris Gioke was last seen near Laytonville, August 9th, 2003. He had gone col to collect money that was owed to him by a man who co-owned uh, the grow-up uh, that Chris had. Four days later, Chris's truck was located approximately 50 miles or 80 kilometers north of where Chris was last seen. 45-year-old Jeff Joseph was last seen in Humboldt County in June 2014. His family claims Jeff had driven from Louisiana to California to purchase a large amount of marijuana for the dispensary that Jeff owned. In 2010, Jeff had been arrested for selling marijuana illegally and was sentenced to one year in jail and five years probation. Jeff's family believe Jeff's partners in the dispensary may know what happened as they refused to cooperate with police and would not let Jeff's family onto the property to access any of Jeff's belongings. 26-year-old Asha Kreimer was last seen September 21st, 2015 in Point Arena, after suffering a mental health crisis, Asha spent a few days under psychiatric evaluation. When she was released, she went to a diner with her boyfriend and a friend. Both said Asha got up to use the restroom, but then she just never came back. She had no money or ID on her at the time. She was also not wearing any shoes. Her jacket was later found on the side of the road near the diner. Asha's mother, Jeannie, who lives in Australia, travels to California every few months to continue searching for her daughter. Police have told her 
that their investigation has led them to believe that Asha may have committed suicide by jumping off a cliff. Whether that is true or not, Asha's body has never been found. Three days after Asha went missing, a neighbor known as Eddie told Asha's boyfriend that he saw Asha the morning she went missing. He said she was trying to get into a trailer on his property. When Eddie approached her, Asha allegedly told him her boyfriend was violent. Um, She then randomly said she'd been molested in her childhood. Eddie tried to encourage Asha to return home. She walked down the road and her boyfriend and a friend picked her up. And that's when they went to the diner. Three years after Asha's disappearance, 52-year-old Eddie, whose real name was Laurel Pratt Ryan, went missing in September 2018. He was last seen at a store in Albion, um, saying he was headed to Fort Bragg, which was about 17 miles or 27 kilometers north, but he never made it and has not been seen or heard from since. But as I mentioned moments ago, in many of these cases, the people reported missing are found unharmed. 22-year-old Rebecca Martinez was reported missing after her mother couldn't get a hold of her. Rebecca, who had just finished filming some episodes for season 22 of The Bachelor, had gone to a marijuana farm in Humboldt County with a friend to make some quick cash. Since her friend's phone was the only one that got service, Rebecca used it to contact her family. But within days of their arrival, the friend was asked to leave And according to Rebecca, the friend got angry that Rebecca wouldn't leave with her. So the friend texted Rebecca's mother, saying that Rebecca was being held hostage by meth heads. Naturally, Rebecca's mother freaked out, especially when Rebecca stopped replying to her messages. So that's when her mother reported her missing. The day after the report was filed, Rebecca left the farm and was finally able to contact her family. Unfortunately, it took a time to get Rebecca's name off the missing persons list. So when that season of The Bachelor started to air, people thought Rebecca was still a missing person. Oh, wow. And the story went uh, viral. But of course, sadly, not every case of a missing person that has been found has a happy ending. A 45-year-old Hannah Hammer was reported missing February 2nd, 2018. Her car was found abandoned with her wallet, keys, and backpack inside. Hannah's body was discovered by a hiker um, February 21st. Her cause of death was undetermined, and as of this record, it remains unsolved. 44-year-old Bradley Thompson was reported missing from Myers Flat in March 2005, In November 2008, his skeletal remains were discovered 24 miles or 39 kilometers away, buried in a gravel quarry. 54-year-old Edward Jensen Jr. was last seen walking from a rural property in Blocksburg on April 14, 2011. His family reported him missing two weeks later. Then in late July 2011, his remains were found along the Eel River. No cause of death was able to be determined. 37-year-old Sheila Franks was last seen January 11, 2014, in Eureka. She was reported missing two months later. On June 10, 2019, a femur was discovered along the Eel River. Uh, 
about 14 miles or 22 kilometers south of Eureka. DNA tests confirmed the femur belonged to Sheila. 23-year-old Danielle Bertolini, also known as Danielle Brooks, was last seen February 9th, 2014. In March 2015, Danielle's skull was discovered along the Eel River near Ferndale. No other remains of either women have been found. In 2015, police announced they believed that Sheila and Danielle's cases were connected because they identified the same person of interest in both cases. But as of this record, the name of the suspect has not been released and no arrests have been made. Wowzer. Yeah. Unbelievable. A lot of info, a lot of people. What a time. What an episode. Cock garage. On that note, dear listeners, let's hit the can. <laughs> let's grab another drink. I'm already 80% loose and buzzy, and I would yes. like to be 100. So let's do that. Get another drink at the can, and we're going to be right back with more on the Murder Mountain episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing Murder Mountain. Before the break, Christy led us through just a depressing list of missing persons cases, some with endings, some without endings. But now, what happens next? Well, uh, something that I didn't mention um, is that the small town of Alder Point is also known as Murder Mountain. Ooh. The morbid nickname started in the early 80s when a gr- local grower named Scott Johnson unknowingly brought two serial killers into his business. Wowzer. Scott had a company called Humboldt Honey Crop, and in fact, Scott was one of the first people in the Emerald Triangle to brand his own cannabis. Uh, but we're going to focus on the serial killers <laughs> for a moment. because Yeah. Do. Um, in the 70s, James Carson was living in Phoenix, Arizona with his wife and their daughter, Jennifer. He was a part-time pot dealer, full-time stay-at-home dad. His daughter would later say he was a loving and attentive parent. 
According to his wife, in the late 70s, James started to get like real have he started to go through like really angry outbursts. Uh, he started becoming more antisocial. And in 1977, his wife took Jennifer and left. James then started a relationship with Susan Barnes, a divorced mother of two teenage sons. Susan spent most of the 60s as a suburban housewife in Scottsdale. Uh, she quickly grew bored of her life and started taking peyote and LSD and sleeping with high school boys. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yep. Wasn't expecting um, that third thing on the list. I'll say that much. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, there have been claims that Susan had sex with 150 teenage boys, which I am hoping is not true because it's not sex. It's abuse. Yep. So uh, around the age of 35, Susan started having delusions um, and she believed that they were what were telling her she needed to find her true soulmate. James and Susan apparently bonded over a religion that Susan created, uh, which was a combination of mysticism, yoga, and Islam. They got married and spent a year in Europe, where they are suspected in several murders. Their plan, they said, was to save the world from witches. At some point, James started going by Michael Bear. And Susan started spelling her name S-U-Z-A-N. Uh, I assume maybe she was pronouncing it Suzanne. Uh, I don't give a shit. She's evil. So it's just going to be Susan because I don't care enough about this woman. I think that's more so, than fair. The couple returned to the United States. They spend a little time on the West Coast. They meet 23-year-old Karen Barnes at a party in San Francisco. Karen was interested in joining their religion, so she invited the Carsons to live with her. But soon, Susan claimed that Karen was a witch. And she told James, now Michael, that Karen was draining Susan of her health and yoga powers. Mm-hmm. So in March 1981, Michael beat Karen in the head with a frying pan and stabbed her 13 times. Jesus Christ. Karen's landlord discovered the body in Karen's apartment, along with strange religious symbols and the word Susan, spelt with a Z, painted on the walls. By then, Michael and Susan had left the city and headed to Oregon, where they lived in a cabin in the woods. After they got kicked out by a park ranger, the Carsons moved into someone's treehouse. I did, in fact, say treehouse. Um, when the treehouse's owner started getting a bad vibe from the couple, he asked them to leave. They responded by, robbing the guy's house, taking his gun, and then setting his house on fire. Feels like a large reaction. Yeah. Uh, they returned to California in the spring of 1982, where they met Scott Johnson, who invited the pair to work at his grow-up as trimmers. Things were going well until Scott Johnson's best friend, Clark Stevens, showed up. Clark and the Carsons did not get along very well. They butted heads almost immediately. Eventually, a fight broke out, and Clark allegedly said something that Susan took great offense to, and Michael fatally shot him. 
The couple then poured kerosene on Clark's body and set it on fire. <laughs> Clark was 26. Wowzer. I pray he was no longer living. Yes, I was time. not I was not laughing at the death. I was laughing at oh my god, like that just feels horrific. Yeah, especially if they were the only ones there. We don't know if he was alive or not oh, when that occurred. God. So horrific. Before Clark's murder was discovered, Michael and Susan skipped town. After they left, police discovered a manifesto they had written, which listed the people who Michael and Susan planned to kill. The list included Margaret Thatcher, Charles Manson, and then-President Ronald Reagan. While hitchhiking near Bakersfield in January 1983, Michael and Susan were picked up by a man named John Hellyer. Unfortunately for John, as soon as he picked them up, Susan determined that John was a witch and that he needed to die. There was a brief struggle. John managed to pull the truck over. He got out. But in full view of people driving past, Michael and Susan stabbed John multiple times and shot him twice in the head. Jesus. John was 30 years old. Michael and Susan got in John's truck and drove off, but were soon spotted by police and arrested. The couple then arranged a five-hour-long press conference, which the police allowed because they hoped that the couple would say something incriminating, which of course they did. Um, to give you an idea of the press conference, Michael said, quote, witchcraft, homosexuality, and abortion are causes for death. Michael and Susan then confessed to killing Karen, Clark, and John, and showed absolutely no remorse for any of those deaths. They are suspected in at least 10 other murders throughout Europe and the United States. However, there has never been enough evidence in those cases to charge them. The couple who became known as the San Francisco Witch Killers were both convicted on three counts of murder and sentenced to 75 years to life. Both were up for parole in 2015. Michael declined parole, the option, I guess, of parole, and Susan was found unfit for an early release. Her next parole hearing is 2030, when she is 88 years old. And if a pair of serial killers murdering their boss's best friend wasn't enough to start calling Alder Point Murder Mountain, then there's also the case of Robert Tennyson, known as Bobby. On the night of January 21st, 2009, Bobby went to Alder Point with his nephew and his son to sell a motorcycle. The men met up with two buyers, exchanged the bike for some cash and weed, and then the son and nephew drove home to Modesto while Bobby went to stay with some friends. He told them he'd be home in about a week. Bobby has not been seen or heard from since. The Humboldt County Sheriff's Office believes that Bobby was killed the first night he arrived in Alder Point. They believe Bobby went back to the house where he sold the bike and that one of the buyers, a guy named Chris Harrison, killed Bobby and buried his body. Allegedly, the day after Bobby was last seen, Chris told people Bobby had shown up at his place and that he went crazy 
and just ran off into the woods. Witnesses say that Chris's cabin was torn up inside, but there was no sign of Bobby. Unfortunately, despite what the police may or may not believe, they currently have no evidence, so they haven't been able to charge anyone in Bobby's possible death. Uh, Bobby was 37 at the time he went missing. More than eight years later, in October 2017, Chris Harrison took his own life, leaving behind a note that read, quote, I was high as fuck on acid when I killed Robert Tennyson. The note also gave a general area on his property as to where Bobby's body was buried, but despite multiple searches, police have been unable to locate the remains. So as of this record, Bobby Tennyson is still considered to be a missing person, but Alder Point locals, including the police, all believe that he was murdered. And since we're talking about Murder Mountain, we are going to talk about another murder that occurred in the area, which was the main focus of the Netflix documentary. Val Rodriguez, known as Buzz, bought a piece of land in Mexico around 2012. Buzz told his son Garrett that he could have the land, but he would be responsible for saving up some money so he could build a house on it. So Garrett decided to go work at a medical marijuana farm in Northern California, where he believed he would make a lot of money in a short time. Garrett was last seen by friends in December 2012 and was officially reported missing by his family in April 2013. But when Buzz brought Garrett's case to the Humboldt County Sheriff's Office, he was told, ah, people go missing all the time and sooner or later, Garrett would just show up on his father's doorstep. The sheriff uh, at the time also said there were no signs of Garrett in in Humboldt County, so it was possible he didn't even make it to the area, so it's probably not their thing anyway, their case anyway. That sheriff is no longer sheriff. I wonder wonder why. I wonder why. Yeah, Yeah, I I believe he retired. (laughs) What what am I saying? I'm so sorry. Why am I even suggesting that there would be some sort of comeuppance for his malaise? (laughs) Excuse moi. Thank you for malaise. You're very welcome. It's what I bring to the table. A vocabulary where I lose words most of the time. Oh, I just feel malaise is really bringing us up from cock garage. Well, I harnessed it. It's another callback. I love. <laughs> Look, I, I don't. Like I don't want to get brought up from cock garage. To be honest, I'd like to live in the cock garage. <laughs> to be honest, I've been trying to. Let's get out of here. <laughs> I like it a lot. So, frustrated with the sheriff's lack of effort, Buzz hired private investigator Chris Cook in May 2013. And I'm going to say it right away. A badass female private investigator who seems fueled by nothing but her quest for the truth is so incredibly inspiring to me. She had, and I can only describe it as a Kelly Catrone type vibe. Uh, I didn't just even like know Kelly... you, you knew who Kelly Catrone was. Oh, I was... Absolutely knee deep, or if I may call back, elbow deep in uh, America's Next Top Model. Those first, like, excuse eight me, seasons. 
Excusez-moi. Of course. I yeah. always think of the, her, I hear the name, I think of the hills, but I'm, you're right. You're right. Of course. My bad. My of bad. Of course. No. Uh, <laughs> we love, and just like Kelly Catrone, Chris Cook gets things done. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if we're going to talk about Kelly Catrone and we're going to talk about America's Next Top Model, shout out Nigel Barker. Blanche, everyone. <laughs> Blanche has joined the show. <laughs> Blanche is uh, always here. So, Garrett's girlfriend told Chris that Garrett had been planning to sell whatever share of the farm he had that he was working on so that he could leave and just be done with the industry entirely. And when locals Sherry Lynch and her friend LaDonna Avera saw Garrett's missing poster, they immediately recognized a picture of Garrett's 1998 Dodge Ram pickup. Uh, they said that it was the same vehicle they had recently seen in Alder Point. Now, the sheriff had told Garrett's father there wasn't proof that Garrett had been in Alder Point, but since his truck was still registered to Garrett, and since it was found in Alder Point, I think that's decent proof that Garrett had at least once been there. Garrett's truck was located on a property about 20 miles or 32 kilometers from the farm where Garrett worked. But when Sherry and LaDonna told the sheriff's office about Garrett's truck, the office said, oh, well, the vehicle's on private property, so there's nothing we can do. If even the cops can't go on private property, what are we doing? <laughs> Like, I'm not saying they should have free-for-all. No, but, but you're like, saying, you like... You can go to the door <laughs> and knock on it. Yeah. You're the authority. I guess not. Not in this, not an elder shot or whatever it is. I, Excuse me, elder point. Thank you for elder shot. I think elder shot oh. is a place in Ontario in my defense. Hey, oh, well, shout out Canada. So, the police are like... Uh, we know where the vehicle is, but we can't. Sorry. Chris Cook, however, went to the property where the vehicle was, spoke to the person who lived there, and got their permission to take the vehicle and give it back to Garrett's family. So I love that she was able to do it. And the sheriff was like, mm, unable. Uh, the vehicle contained no signs of foul play. And as though locating the vehicle wasn't enough, Sherry and LaDonna decided that they were determined to find out what happened to Garrett, even though they did not personally know him in any way. So they started asking around Alder Point to see if anyone knew what happened to him. And any time they would say Garrett's name, people would respond to them, Oh, you mean the dead boy? Oh, not promising. No. You know? From what Sherry and LaDonna could piece together, Garrett worked for a guy named Quentin, who locals described as temperamental and said he often threatened people. Allegedly, Garrett went to Quentin's house and asked for the $50,000 that Quentin owed him. Uh, Quentin said he'd get it, then allegedly went into the house came back out with a gun and fatally shot Garrett. 
Allegedly, on Quentin's orders, another man took Garrett's body and buried it somewhere on the property. Sherry gave this information to the sheriff's office, but they said they didn't have enough probable cause to do anything. The sheriff also said that since the body was buried on private property, law enforcement wouldn't be able to go there anyway. It should be noted that Quentin allegedly had a history of violence and had once been suspected of kidnapping. Here we go. And when a friend of Garrett's went to Quentin asking where Garrett was, Quentin allegedly told them that Garrett was fishing in Mexico and having the time of his life. However, Garrett's truck, surfboard, and fishing poles were quite literally right there in front of the guy. Um, So it just seems unlikely that uh, Quentin was telling the truth. So it seemed that the Alder Point locals believed they knew what happened to Garrett and who was involved. And since the police weren't willing to get involved some of the locals decided to take matters into their own hands. A group of eight men, who would later be called the Alder Point Eight, put masks on and drove up to the hill to Quentin's house. The names of all eight men have never been revealed, but we know the group did include John Riley, Neil Decker, Bob Holtzclaw, and Scott Johnson, the same Scott Johnson who brought Michael and Susan Carson to Alder Point in 1982. So on November 28, 2013, Neil Decker led the group of armed men to Quentin's house where they outright asked what happened to Garrett. It was said that Neil had a soft spot for Garrett because Neil's son had died shortly before Garrett arrived in town. Neil was also like a like the leader in the community who everyone looked up to. So when Neil wanted to get justice for Garrett, multiple people stepped up, no questions asked. When Quentin came outside, he was pistol whipped by Bob. The gun accidentally went off, shooting Quentin in the ear. Jesus. Neil asked again what happened to Garrett. Quentin allegedly admitted to shooting Garrett and burying him in a shallow grave. He then took the group to where the body was buried, and Garrett Rodriguez was finally found. Throughout the ordeal, Quentin was shot three times. After Garrett's body was discovered, the group dropped Quentin off at a nearby hospital and left. One of the men called Chris Cook and simply told her, We've got the body. According to the autopsy, Garrett was shot through the mouth severing his spinal cord, which means he would have died instantly. Garrett Rodriguez was just 29 at the time of his death. After it became public knowledge that a group of vigilantes were the only reason that a missing person's body was found, the sheriff's department decided to go after the men, known as the Alder Point Eight. When questioned, John Riley said he only joined the group that night because they drove past his house, and since he lives in such a remote place, he knew something big was going on, so he just followed them. John told police that he allegedly heard Quentin confess to Garrett's murder. The police spoke with Quentin while he was in the hospital, but only to ask about the incident that led to his injuries, 
not about anything involving Garrett. The FBI ended up taking over Garrett's case, although I don't know why, because the FBI doesn't usually step in unless it's something big like trafficking or organized crime or something. But when the FBI interviewed John Riley, he told them that Quentin had confessed to the murder. Uh, But the FBI said if guns were involved, uh, the confession then was made under duress and therefore wouldn't count in court. And I get the concept of confessing under duress and even without the confession, he knew exactly where that body was. I know that doesn't automatically mean he was the shooter, but to me, it means he was involved somehow. If he knew exactly where that body was. Yeah. Allegedly. But. <laughs> of course. Once the FBI took over, Garrett's family stopped receiving updates on the case. The FBI said that talking to him was putting the ongoing case at risk. As of this record, no one has been arrested or charged in connection with Garrett's murder. But Garrett's murder shifted things for Alder Point residents. The idea that someone could be murdered over money that was owed to them left everyone on edge. A few months later, in early 2014, Scott Johnson brought a 31-year-old guy named Matt Brown into his grow-up. But Matt had a horrific temper and attacked a co-worker and shot someone in the head with a paintball gun. Oh my God. Matt then had an altercation with Scott's best friend, Neil Decker. On July 18th, 2014, Matt was told that Scott needed to speak to him. So he showed up at Scott's house around 9 p.m. Matt later claimed that he feared Scott's friend, Neil. So when Matt showed up at the house... He brought a shotgun with him. He walked into the house, went straight upstairs to where Scott was waiting. It turns out that Scott was looking for a set of tools that he thought maybe Matt had. Matt said he didn't have them. Then, for whatever reason, Matt started complaining about Neil to Scott. And Neil was in the next room at the time. So he could hear what was being said. Neil bursts into the room. He put a hand behind his back like he was reaching for a gun. So Matt raised his shotgun and fatally wounded Neil before quickly fleeing the scene. Neil was 49 at the time of his death. And sadly, this was now the second time that a close friend of Scott Johnson's was murdered by an outsider that Scott himself brought in to town. After Neil's death, Scott's girlfriend, Hannah, who was in the house on the night that Neil died, showed the police a photo of Matt Brown and outright told them where he could be found. And the police responded, oh, but he's got a gun, so we're not going to approach him. Matt then allegedly went around and threatened anyone who might say something about Neil's death. Scott, who felt responsible for his friend's death, said that since he was the one who brought Matt to Alder Point, he needed to be the one who took care of Matt personally. Hannah was very concerned that something bad was going to happen, so three days after Neil's murder, Hannah said she was leaving town and she begged Scott to go with her. 
But as Scott was about to get in the car to leave town with her, someone showed up and said Matt was seen at a cabin just down the road. So Scott grabbed a guy named Jubal Hall and another guy who was known as Redhead Dave. He had a last name. It just felt more right just to be like <laughs> Redhead Dave. Um, and the three of them went to check out the cabin. Uh, unfortunately, once they got to the cabin, the three men split up and went in different directions. Jubal said that he looked through the cabin windows but didn't see anyone. At some point, Jubal mistook Scott for Matt and allegedly shot him. Redhead Dave said that he heard the shot but didn't see what happened. Jubal then panicked and allegedly put Scott in the back of his truck and drove away so fast that Scott's body fell out of the back of the vehicle. And then Jubal just kept driving. Scott's body was found the next morning, just 50 feet from the cabin where Matt Brown was discovered sleeping. Matt claimed he didn't hear any gunshots because he slept through the whole thing. Matt described Scott as being like a father to him. Scott Johnson was 57 at the time of his death. Scott's girlfriend Hannah offered a reward for the weapon that was involved in Scott's murder, and while someone did hand the gun in, there were no fingerprints on it, and the sheriff said they couldn't do anything about it because no one saw the suspect shooting the gun. As of this record, no arrests have been made in Scott Johnson's case. Matt Brown, however, was arrested for the murder of Neil Decker. Matt claimed it was self-defense. He said, and I quote, Honestly, it's sad but true. Neil had it coming. Pushed somebody in a corner. It was perfect self-defense because Neil Decker was telling everybody he was going to kill me. And self-defense is all based on state of mind. The Alder Point 8 shooting played a part in my state of mind and why I was so fearful of Neil. The outlaw vigilante lifestyle that's up there. I was frightened. Well, Matt, um, witnesses who were there that night say that you just allegedly walked right into the house and shot Neil. Which doesn't sound like self-defense, um, but I'm not a professional. And yes, there were other people in the house that night, but Scott was the only person in the room when the shot was fired. Matt Brown was found guilty and sentenced to 40 years to life. But two members of the Alder Point Eight were murdered just three days apart. And that feels incredibly sketchy, especially since Neil was the ringleader of the group who died first. And then Scott, who was the only witness to Neil's murder, was the one who died next. And by 2017, only two members of the Alder Point Eight were still alive. John Riley and Bob Holtzclaw. On September 23, 2017, 58-year-old Bob had an altercation with 27-year-old Zach Harrison. The two men passed each other in the street, and just classic dudes just kind of started beaking at each other and then trying to one-up one another. 
And Bob took things a step further and made some sort of comment referencing sexual assault. And Zach, who was a victim of sexual assault in his childhood, pulled out a gun and just fatally shot Bob in broad daylight in front of multiple witnesses. Wow. Um, According to a witness, Zach then turned to his friends and calmly asked if anyone wanted to go party. The idea that someone could kill a person and then immediately act like nothing happened is wild to me. Um, So as a quick look into Zach's background, uh, he was born around 1990, one of four children. Uh, Their father, James, wasn't around much. And at some point, uh, he allegedly killed a man following an altercation. Uh, The children were, were mostly raised by their mother, Allison. Sadly, when Zach was quite young, Allison started struggling with addiction. And in 2003, both Allison and her new husband, I believe, uh, Zach's stepfather, died from drug overdoses within six months of each other. Allison was 42 at the time. According to Zach's sister, Leah, the losses caused Zach to estrange himself from the family. Uh, It was difficult for him to hear people talk about their mother. After their mother mother's death, Zach spent time living with their grandmother. It just didn't last for very long. And after graduating high school, Zach lived with his brother, Chris. Chris, you may recall from earlier in this episode when I spoke about the death of Bobby Tennyson. As a reminder, Bobby was last seen in January 2009 after selling his motorcycle to two guys in Alder Point. One of those guys was Chris Harrison. The other was Zach. Chris later confessed to Bobby's murder in a suicide note he left in October 2017, which was less than a month after the murder of Bob Holtzclaw. When police first learned about Bob's death, they had difficulty finding Zach. Uh, Zach left for Oregon, where he spent 10 days in the mountains with no food. When Zach returned to the area, he managed to evade police for six months. The sheriff's office received a tip that Zach was in town, but when the police arrived, he fled in a stolen vehicle. Police followed Zach to a nearby bridge where he abandoned the vehicle, ran down an embankment, and since police found Zach's clothing near the water, they believed he jumped in. But there were no witnesses. There was also no sign of Zach anywhere, and against all odds, he managed to evade police for another two months, spending most of the time living in the woods with little to no clothing. On June 6, 2018, the sheriff's office received a tip that someone matching Zach's description was seen in a Walmart parking lot in Eureka. When an officer arrived, Zach peacefully surrendered and was arrested. When the officer asked Zach how he managed to survive in the woods for so long, Zach simply said, quote, it was hard. In September, Zach pleaded not guilty to the murder of Bob Holtzclaw, you know, the murder that happened in broad daylight in front of multiple people. Uh, Throughout the trial, he changed his story multiple times as to where he was when Bob Holtzclaw was murdered. At one point, he claimed he was in Oregon and that he learned about the murder on TV. But in every version of his story, Zach said he was not the one 
who pulled the trigger. However, in October 2019, Zach was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to 50 years to life. The usual sentence is 25 to life, but Zach used a firearm to commit the crime. Therefore, his sentence was doubled. John Riley is now the only surviving member of the Alder Point Eight. He is also the only member of the posse who ever cooperated with police. And while I'm talking about murder in Alder Point, I thought I'd mention a few other murders that occurred within the Humboldt County area in the last three years. I found so many that I had to cut it off at three years because there, there were a shocking amount. But in February 2020, 32-year-old Jason Garrett was working on his van on the side of a rural, rural road in China Creek, which is about 27 miles or 44 kilometers west of Alder Point. 34-year-old Ryan Tanner spotted Jason and forced him into Ryan's vehicle. Ryan then set Jason's van on fire, took Jason to his home where he interrogated him because he believed that Jason was a thief. During the interrogation, Ryan cut Jason's throat with a knife and then covered the wound with duct tape. And if that wasn't enough, Ryan then shot Jason in the head at close range with a rifle. Ryan and his friend Christopher buried Jason's body on Ryan's property. And then Ryan set fire to his own house to cover the crime scene. Ryan threatened to kill his friend Christopher, the only witness to the crime, um, he threatened to kill him if he didn't help bury the body, but Christopher later showed police where Jason's body had been buried. Days before the murder, Ryan had threatened his neighbors with a rifle. Weeks before that, he physically assaulted his girlfriend with a firearm. Ryan pleaded guilty to manslaughter with the use of a firearm. He also pleaded guilty to 11 counts involving seven other people. He was sentenced to 39 years. On the night of February 9th, 2021, a group of teenagers were drinking at the home of 16-year-old Shelly Moon at the Bear River Band of the Roner Ranchiera Reservation in Lolita. Around 4 a.m., Shelly's stepfather, Nikki Metcalf, entered Shelly's room to discover her in a, how we'll say, an intimate position with 18-year-old Mauricio Johnson. Nikki immediately hit Mauricio, told him to get out. Um, he ran from the room, pulled a gun from his backpack, and fatally shot Nikki. Then when Shelly's mother, Margaret, heard the commotion, Mauricio shot her as she entered the living room and, to leave no witnesses, turned and shot Shelly. Margaret's two other children, aged 11 and 13, called the police after discovering the bodies later that morning. A few days later, Mauricio was discovered hiding out in Utah. He was brought back to California where he was arrested and eventually convicted on three counts of murder. He was sentenced to 150 years in prison. However, since he was a minor at the time of the crime, he will get a parole hearing after 25 years. 
On June 23, 2021, around 6 p.m., a vehicle full of unknown people dropped an injured man off at the Elk Camp Cal Fire Station near Oric. Despite their best efforts, the firefighters were unable to save the man, who suffered from a gunshot wound. The victim was later determined to be 41-year-old Benjamin Thomas. On the morning of July 7th, 51-year-old Sean McMahon turned himself in at the Eureka Police Station. Following a three-week trial in November 2023, Sean McMahon was found guilty of first-degree murder. His His sentencing is set for sometime next month. Um, but as of now, Sean currently faces a maximum of life in prison for Benjamin's death. Uh, and another case, uh, from Humboldt County, this one specifically from Eureka on December 27th, 2022, Russell Albers arrived at the home where his ex-girlfriend was staying and demanded that she leave with him. When she refused, he stabbed her. She tried to close the door on him. So he fired his gun through the door, which caught her in the stomach uh, when he he then proceeded to shoot the woman's sister, Jennifer Paddock, Jennifer's boyfriend, uh, Daniel Garcia, and a third woman named Sarah Williams. To make him stop, the ex-girlfriend offered to go with Russell, but once in the car, she begged him to drop her off at a hospital, which he did. The woman remained in hospital for nearly six weeks and underwent seven surgeries. Sarah and the unnamed woman managed to survive the attack, uh, as did Jennifer's four-year-old daughter, who was in the house at the time. Unfortunately, 42-year-old Jennifer and 51-year-old Daniel did not survive. Three days later, Russell was finally apprehended following a high-speed chase. No trial has been set just yet. And finally, bringing it back specifically to Alder Point, on January 6, 2022, 25-year-old Trevor Early got bit in the face by his roommate's dog. Trevor got angry and told his roommate, Jake Combs, that he would not be leaving this house with that dog alive. Trevor then stepped outside to speak with a friend, and Jake walked up behind him and shot Trevor point blank in the head. During the trial, Jake claimed that Trevor went outside and he could hear the door to Trevor's truck open and close. And Jake said he got nervous because he knew that Trevor kept his gun in the vehicle. However, at the time, Trevor's hands were covered in blood from touching the dog bite on his face. And there was no sign of any blood on the door or door handles of his truck, and Trevor was unarmed when he was shot. 31-year-old Jake Combs was convicted of first-degree murder, and the judge, who described the crime as cruel and callous, sentenced Jake to 100 years. I guess Alder Point has continued to live up to its Murder Mountain nickname. Reporting for True Crime and Cocktails... I'm Christy Oxborough. I want you to know yeah. that in earnest, yeah. one of the final notes I took yeah. regarding yeah. the Trevor Trevor Early case there yeah. was wow, wow, wee wah. So if you want to know what you're in store for in terms of why 
feedback mm-hmm. on this episode, that's setting the table. I encourage yeah. you to take a seat, pull up a chair, <laughs> and see what we're going to do as we break bread. Until then, let's take one more break. Hit the cam one more time, mm-hmm. and we'll be back with my batshit thoughts on the Murder Mountain episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the Murder Mountain Netflix documentary. I'm I'm knee deep in booze, and these notes are gonna be chaotic. <laughs> I I'll be honest, they're my favorite notes. Well, get ready because the first chaotic. one, the first one before I was even that liquored was heavy into marijuana. The Mary Jane, last dance with Mary Jane. Rest in peace, Tom Petty. <laughs> I mean, of course, yes. Not needed though. Not that kind of it's it's the fact that I take notes that wordy at times, you know. Um, you were talking about a 28-year-old named Henry Baird who went missing, and that is sad, and I'm not negating it. But then you mentioned his girlfriend, who was 17. I did. Yep. Just thought I would be remiss if I didn't mention. Of course. This. Yeah, yeah, I did uh hit that and run. Yeah. But great catch. Thanks. Great catch. <laughs> Doesn't matter how, how drunk I am. If it's an inappropriate relationship, I'm on to them. Yeah. Yep. Um, come on, Bean. Come here then. All right. 52-year-old Eddie, a.k.a. Laurel. Yeah. Don't feel like you hear about a lot of men named Laurel, but... No. Shout out to Mother Laurel, my mother, sure. Christy's aunt. <laughs> Thank you. For aunt. Aunt is garage. the family version of garage. <laughs> Cock garage. Okay. <laughs> Eel River sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I warned you ahead of time. It ain't getting better. You mentioned- Oh, I live for this. Yeah, well, thank God. Thank God for it. I feel like most of our listeners have tuned out. They've they've skipped. They're over to they're over to something else at this point. But you know, well, I'll sorry. tell them this. They're gonna miss out because last week, last episode was the first ever episode that I took a promo from this <laughs> section of the show. I, I noticed that actually. I should have mentioned it because I did notice. I was like, I think that's a first. 
Oh, because I'll tell you, it tickled me so much that I was like, well, done. Tickle me smell mo. Why? Wow. Why? Why smell mo? There's no need. <laughs> You're in a good place right now. It's nice for me. I want you to know. I'm a so million glad. miles away. Shout out Foo Fighters. Okay. Uh, Susan and James. Susan and James, a.k.a. Michael. Yeah. You mentioned their manifesto. I just want to say right now, anytime anyone writes a manifesto, bad yeah. news. Oh, yeah. Bad news. Um, I had nothing else to offer to that other than wah, wah, wee, wah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, you were talking about the case of Garrett Rodriguez. Police telling um, Buzz, people go missing all the time. He'll likely come back. Shades of Gacy. As you know, Gacy is the case that Gacy is the Casey that made me go uh, loopy. Spacey. And, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> just so that's just, again, it it just makes my spine like crack like it, when I yeah. hear that because when I think about the details of the Gacy case, which as we all know, changed me for life, the amount yeah. of parents that were told exactly that, that it was like, oh. well, he's a teenage boy, he'll come back brutally murdered the answer is they yep. were brutally murdered and the police did nothing mm -hmm. it's like a trigger for me jokes yep. aside is a trigger for me now because we've heard it a few times over the years since i did gacy mm. and anytime i hear that it literally makes me feel sick because yes. when i think about the amount the amount of um li life lost it's it's overwhelming okay yes. you mentioned <laughs> well first of all kelly catrone I love that we went down that. <laughs> then you mentioned, yeah, uh, not Kelly Catrones, but you said his truck, his surfboard, and his fishing poles. And I just wrote down surfboard. And now I, I didn't have a chance to look up on a map where in California Humboldt County is, but I thought it was north. Oh, I assume the surfboard was just for when he went to Mexico, but that he huh. always brought it back with him. Okay. Is right. what I assume. Same because a lot of people bowls, in Los Angeles, California, surf, but I just don't know that a lot of people. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the people in the Bay Area are going to be yelling at me. Shame on you, Lauren Ash. Don't discard those of us who surf in the North. That could come to me, and I I'll apologize it's, in advance. It's possible. I'm sorry if I didn't see you, and I see you now, preemptively. So just to be clear, just to sum up this episode, you see the mothers. <laughs> At the, the northern surfers. <laughs> that was real. Damn it. Yeah. Okay. I, I just, I just came clarifying. In hot. I hear you. I came in hot. No, no, I. No, you're right. Love it a lot. I just uh, wanted to clarify for the, the people at home. Good news. Then I wrote down Redhead Dave. Um, yeah. <laughs> With no comment. Of course. Here's a, here's a real one. Yeah. You were speaking about Bob Holtzclaw and Zach Harrison. Yes. And you were a woman that got on me for saying up in my grill when you used the term beaking at each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I okay. also uh, said down low. Down low feels a little bit more beacon at each other. It feels, I mean, now what are we doing? Now that's your, really? that's one of your children, I think. 
Oh, wow. Oh, I use the term beaking all the time. Do you? I do. How long? In my home. Wow. Yeah. That feels like a that feels like a term of the youth. It it probably is, but uh because I feel like it started as it, chirping and then somebody changed oh, it to beaking. Sure. sure. Clever. I've known I've known it as uh well, yeah. I've only known it as beaking. Really? Yeah. Maybe it's a regional thing then. That is possible. I don't believe I've heard it before tonight. That, yeah, sure. So I, I mean, thought one of the kids I was, has brought this you home. You thought I was hip. I thought you were, you were you thought hipper, I than I, hip. hipper than I. Well, if they do use the term beaking, that is the only teen slang that I know. <laughs> I know the teens frighten you. <laughs> but what I'm saying they is- They genuinely do. You yeah. can communicate with them better than most if you're using words like beacon. But how am I going to put a full sentence together when that's all I have? I feel like it'll speak for itself. I'm a prime target. <laughs> it's okay. I know. <laughs> I'm a prime target for the youths. I, uh, yeah, nope. I, next note. I fear them all. Thank you for using the term posse. It was accurate and spirited. Sure. Don't have a lot more, to be honest with you. Um, this case at the end, Trevor Early oh. was bit in the face by Jake's dog, his roommate, Jake. I just wrote down <laughs> Jake the snake. Oh, sure. <coughs> Oh my god, I'm inhaling my own saliva. Um I guess for me, this one's tough because first of all, a hundred years, wah wah wee wah. Already went through that note. Hundred yeah. years does feel extreme. Oh yeah. When we hear so often listen, no, I'll I'll let me walk that back for a second. A hundred years for a murder doesn't feel extreme. The problem is, is that we hear so many sentences that feel so lenient. That then when yep. you hear one that is 100 years, you go, that feels tough. Because yeah. I am in no way, no way defending this murder. It's undefensible. It's wrong. He did threaten Jake's dog. I'm not being glib. Sure. I'm saying there was a there was something premeditating here. Do sure. I believe that that means you should murder this person? Absolutely not. I love animals. I love dogs. I love my children. I am not saying that a threat to the dog warrants being killed at all. Of course. But when we're looking at this through a court of law lens, sure. it does feel like this wasn't necessarily premeditated. It feels like in the moment, Trevor threatened Jake's dog saying that dog better not be alive when I come back or better not still be alive if I'm living here. That that type of vibe. It feels yeah. like, and then very shortly after, right? It was it was the same day. It was very shortly after Jake kills him. <laughs> yeah. I would argue if I was Jake's lawyer, heat of the moment. I would argue you know, state of mind, all of these things. It's interesting sure. to me that they came down on him so hard because there's other cases that we've heard on our long list of cases on this show, obviously. Yeah. Where something is deeply premeditated 
And it's like they they served 13 years or they served oh, nine. No. You know what I mean? And it's like mm-hmm. it's just interesting. It's interesting. It feels like maybe he was being made an example of. I can't begin to speculate on what that's about. But I bring it up from a genuine true crime enthusiast point of view, which of is course. it's interesting to me given the circumstances. And I know that he had a little bit of time to cool down potentially between when this guy said this and when he killed him. So it wasn't exactly heat of the moment, but it wasn't like he was planning and premeditating this murder for like months before. He didn't have a manifesto. Sure. sure. Right. Oh my God. Great point. They got, they, I mean, they're 75 years to life, but there's, was a shorter sentence for admitting to three murders. Right. Theirs was a shorter sentence. This is what I'm saying. Again, I'm not defending Jake here, but I'm saying that it's interesting in the grander scheme, and that's not necessarily the same judge, but the same area, right? So it just feels interesting to me that it was such a harsh harsh sentence. 100 years is, is wild. Yeah. I think if they had just said you're sentenced to life, yeah, I would have gone like, oh, okay, yeah, same, that, sure. But to specifically say a hundred years, because we both know, but that's not a life. That's two, three lifetimes, right? Like we we don't uh, four lifetimes, arguably. And in, in, well, I guess it depends on how young people are dying. But you know what I'm saying? It's like there, we know that there's no way that any human who is over the age of 18, is going to live out a 100-year sentence. No. The oldest person was, what, 112 or something? Like, it's just, my point is is that it's like, it isn't isn't just a life sentence. It feels like there's a little more stank on it, which feels, again, like I wish my kingdom, by the way, for 100-year sentences for so many of the cases we've heard of before. Oh, yeah. So many cases where there is a brutal murder, a b- brutal assault, terrible details. And then you're, it's like they were sentenced to 21 years and served 14 or whatever it is. Like, yeah. I, again, can't make it clear enough. Not saying Trevor deserved to die. Not saying it was the move. It's just very interesting to me that it felt like this was the one that this judge was like, now I make, now this is the one. Now I make a statement. Oh, yeah. I'd love to know. I'd, I want to see the judge's track record of what was what were other crimes and what was the sentence yeah. that was given. Because I'm just curious as to where this falls in that grand scheme. Agreed. Same. Because, yeah, that saying 100 feels wild. Again, the serial killer couple that possibly murdered 10, 12 people. I mean, at least outright admitted to three, got 75 years. This is what I'm saying. It just feels, yeah. Unless there's some detail of this that we don't know. Possible. It feels feels like that would be public record. Like, again, like, I don't know what this man would have had to have done. But you know what? You're right. I would be curious to see what's this specific judge's track record. Oh, yeah. What are the specific um, sentences being laid out? Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. 
even this, even Mauricio, if we go back for a second, who killed three people, he was sentenced to 150 years. He killed three. That's 50 years a person. Yeah. Something's up. And I know this isn't the point of the whole conversation, but you know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. And because he was a minor, he's guaranteed a parole hearing in 25 years. Right. And I'm sure Jake will have a parole hearing at some point, maybe. I don't know. Well, that's, I guess, the other question is, well, then what are you doing? Is it 100 years with no chance of parole? Or is it 100 years, but you can get a parole hearing in 15 or something? Because then it just feels like bravado. Then why are we even giving out a 100-year sentence if there's absolutely no way that it would be stuck to, right? Like, True. Yeah. It almost feels like in terms of the criminal justice system that there should be federal reform. Not Hmm. to drunkenly get on a soapbox, but doesn't Mm -hmm. it feel like there should be some overall system that not only gives out the sentences that are just when we're talking about killings, but Hmm. also doesn't give out the sentences that are unjust to smaller crimes? Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. And uh, I floated out there, not to be political, but it feels again like it's just overwhelming. It's overwhelming when you think about the disparity in one country. It's not like we're talking about the disparity between the United States and a completely different country. We're talking about within one country, within one state, there can be such a disparity. And that just feels wrong to me. My my sense of justice, which as everyone who listens to the show knows, one of my number one, um, you know, pet peeves in life is injustice. And it just doesn't feel right that yeah. there are so many different sets of rules to me. Yeah. Again, that, uh, the guy, uh, oh God, what was his name? Ryan Tanner, I believe. Mm. I'm trying so hard to flip that paper uh uh, yes ryan tanner um he took a guy off the side of the road kidnapped him took him home slit his throat bandaged it with duct tape and then shot him in the head and then also made threats at other people um and was Guilty on 11 different counts and sentenced to 39 years. Yeah. See, that that doesn't make sense to me as a human being. Logically, I can work out in my mind why that happens. Yes or no, whatever. Sure. But it doesn't make sense in my mind. Yeah. And I don't know that it ever will. It's just so, it's so overwhelming. Again, what do we not know about this Jake this Jake case? Like what is what are we not hearing? Like it feels like unless there's some massive detail they've kept secret, which I highly doubt. Sure. I don't get it. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, he murdered someone. He belongs in prison, sure. Of course. But yeah, saying a hundred years feels wild. It feels like the beginning of something else to me. That feels like sure. the canary in the coal mine, where it's like, what else is going in the ju- going on in the justice system there? 
What else is happening? Sure. I mean, maybe there was something from his past yeah. that he did that he got away with. And I mean, or That's maybe possible. the judge was just like, I want to be seen as tougher on crime. I have no idea. It just, it is a shocking number to hear. It's just rare. Yeah. It's super rare. Well, listen, one episode, so much true crime jammed in. Jammed in. It's yeah. incredible. Your research, as always, is impeccable, is impressive, is iconic. Wow. <laughs> I'll, I'll also, take all of that. Also, cock garage. That's that's what you get with this lady here is uh she'll she'll uh say things that the teens say uh like real teen speak <laughs> like uh you know uh I'm down I got the 411 <laughs> you are not going out and getting jiggy with no boy I don't care how dope his ride is uh shout out Larry Miller oh. uh, in uh 10 things I hate about you. Yes. Uh those damn Dawson's River kids sleeping, sleeping in, in each, each other's, other's beds. beds. Uh one of the best uh characters ever to have ex- existed. Agreed. Um but not only do you get that hip lady. Uh you also get uh someone who can talk about serious topics and someone who breaks mid serious topic and says something wild like cock garage. I'm still trying to think of where that would have come from. There was a dancer in a movie that had a tattoo above, like, above her pelvis that said boner garage. I remember that. Haven't seen that movie in a while, so it wouldn't have been fresh why i went with garage i'll never know but well i'll say it it's inspiring (laughs) (laughs) it's incredible it's iconic (laughs) i'm never gonna live it down i guarantee i will forget Mm -hmm. and it's gonna be someone that randomly mentions it to me and i go oh yeah yeah, that's the thing, because right. we record these, and then time will pass, and we'll forget things, mm-hmm. and then they'll come out, and then there'll be 15 comments immediately with one different thing. I, I promise you this this one, it's going to be cockroach. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, listen, we thank you so much for your work, as always. Impeccable, <laughs> incredible, iconic. <laughs> I uh, I live for it. God bless you. And we thank you, dear listeners, for joining us on this wild ride. As always, if you haven't already, give us a follow on the socials on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at True Crime and Cocktails, on Twitter at Not Detectives. And if you'd like some more, some bonus, some, uh, some uh, you know, little uh, taste of a how's your father, I, that's not <laughs> anything we do over there. If you want bonus episodes and stuff, go to patreon.com slash True Crime and Cocktails to learn more about our subscription-based service. I promise you it's all above board. And if... <laughs> Of course. And the only place to get official True Crime and Cocktails merch is, of course, truecrewmerch.com. So check that out as well if you haven't already. Christy, do you want to tell the people about next week's episode? On the next True Crime and Cocktails, University of Idaho murders. Wah, wah, wee, wah.
a much requested episode of the show. Cannot wait for that. We're going to get into all of it. Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? Good night, Kelly Catron. Oh, sure. Good night. Feel the rain on your face. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.